Welcome to God Books, the podcast where we talk to bookshop owners all around the world. On this episode, a young man came in and asked if we had great expectations of Charles Dickens. I looked around, I said, I'm sorry, we don't have any. He said, that's okay. Uh, do you have anything else with expectations in the title? Part of Neukölln, Berlin's famed Bohemian Babylon of a neighborhood, lies Curious Fox, a small bookshop with a big atmosphere. Curious Fox is a cultural refuge for those native English speakers or English language lovers when things get a bit lost in translation. The seven-year-old bookshop sells a new and new selection of English language fiction, bookish accessories, and of course tea and coffee. Curious Fox tells its own story with poetry and music nights, welcoming to rowdy and delicate souls alike. Owners Orla Baumgarten and David Gordon met in a bookshop in Berlin. Originally from Ireland and with a background in history of science and film, they started Curious Fox with no previous experience in bookselling, learning on the job. The books they sell are as interesting as the people who buy them. We're very excited to have David on our podcast today tell us about the secret life of the Curious Fox. Hi, David. Welcome to our podcast. I actually wanted to start by saying happy seventh anniversary since it was November 2020 that Curious Fox turned seven. And congratulations on creating a really beautiful warm space described by a friend of mine as a cozy living room. That's a nice compliment for a bookshop. Absolutely. Can you tell us where you're joining us from today and maybe paint a picture for our listeners? What is around you as we're recording this? Sure. So I'm joining you from the shop. I'm behind the counter where I've spent most of the day today. Um, I'm surrounded by a lot of books that came in yesterday from the UK, which were our first deliveries that we received from uh, post-Brexit. We were getting nothing. And then uh, yesterday and today, we got a lot of stuff in. So they're all they're all here behind me waiting to be picked up, maybe about 80 books for different uh, customers of ours. The rest of this room is uh, the blue shelves where we keep the new books. Uh, so we have general fiction. We have LGBTQ plus interest. We have graphic novels, poetry, philosophy, and general nonfiction over here uh, in this part of the room. And then around the corner is the children's section with a lot of big picture books standing up facing me. Uh, and then it starts with the second hand there with general fiction and classics. Well, that sounds like a really big collection. Can you tell us a bit, uh, and to our listeners, of course, how Curious Fox began? Hmm. So I moved to Berlin in 2008 from Cork in Ireland. And um, after a few weeks, I met Orla Baumgarten, who's my partner in the shop. And... We became good friends, and then we uh, were in a relationship. I moved back to Ireland, um, but I came back then in 2011, and we had the idea to start our own business together. Jobs in Berlin in 2011 were kind of scarce, and so we felt that we would make our own job. For a while, we didn't know what kind of business to start. I had some experience in retail. I had some experience in, in filmmaking and we were wondering would we do something like this. And in the end, it was actually my, my birthday drinks, maybe 2012 or something, when we were waiting for other friends to come. 
uh, when we both kind of said at the same time that what we really wanted to do was open a bookshop. Um, even though we knew that was kind of a bad idea in the 21st century, but it was something that both of us had kind of wanted to do all our lives. And we said, okay, let's do it. Um, it's not that it happened overnight. We mostly started kind of, uh, firstly, kind of squirreling away piles of secondhand books uh, wherever we could find them. And we started slowly coming up with a plan. Uh, and then at the end of the summer 2013, it just very suddenly happened. We started to look at uh, different premises that were out there just to get an idea. And it actually turns out that the first one we came to see, it wasn't the only one we saw, but it was the first one we came to see. The landlord wrote back to us straight away and said, yeah, you can have it. And we went, oh, so are we opening a bookshop? And they said, yeah. So that was like August 2013. We got the keys on the 1st of September 2013. And then we took a, a couple of months to get ready and opened on the 4th of November. That is quite a story. I, I know that Curious Fox is located in Neukölln and it has this reputation of being very international, hip, but it also changed a lot in the last 10 years. I was wondering, how did it change over the years for you and what was in the location before? Um, in the location before us was one of these mini casinos slash kind of smoking club or something that's, uh, there's a lot of those in Berlin. Anybody who's visited Berlin, lives in Berlin, knows exactly what I mean. They suggested that we keep the cigarette machine uh, when we moved in, but um, we declined. Um, so, <laughs> but the street is quite famous for 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 Todeladen, for antique shops, for junk shops. Um, and certainly in decades gone by, it was nearly the whole street uh, was shops like this. So before it was the casino, it was also just one of the Flughavenstrasse, uh, Todeladen or, or junk shops or flea market stores. Yeah. That's that's so cool to be able to to witness that. How did that reflect in the type of people who visit your bookshop? I would imagine from hungover casino goers to more, you know, vegan sort of yogis nowadays. It's always been a little bit the the vegan yogis, to be honest. I say that as a vegan myself. Um, definitely a demographic that it's okay to poke fun at too. Um, Neukölln is has this, you know, the hipster vibe. It has that reputation and it, it lives up to it in, in lots of ways. And our customers have always been a mixture of this quite young, trendy international uh, crowd who are maybe not from Berlin, not from Neukölln. They could be from somewhere else in Germany or from Brooklyn or from Paris. 50% this and 50% the regular Neukölln, the regular German uh, from Neukölln who lives in Neukölln, who wants to read something in English in the original. We were just about to ask you if uh, Curious Fox has a type, but I think you kind of answered that question. I'd like to hear about some of your fondest memories or maybe quirkiest memories, things that happen in your shop that um, were memorable. Can you tell us a little bit about that? There are certainly some uh, some strange ones come to mind. One that I always enjoy, which was really from the very early days, like maybe our second or third week in business, 
And a young man came in and asked if we had great expectations of Charles Dickens, a very normal thing for a bookshop to have, um, which we didn't at that time on that particular day. I looked around. Uh, I said, I'm sorry, we don't have any. He said, that's OK. Uh, do you have anything else with expectations in the title? Uh, <laughs> I just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't follow the logic of it. We, we settled on something else entirely in the end. But um, I've always just loved that idea that it wasn't the book he was looking for. It was just the expectations. The expectations. Um, average expectations, that would be OK, too. But I mean, anyone who has like any kind of shop, if you have a door onto the street, people come in with, with the strangest um, requests. Um, another that Orla reminded me of just the, the other day when we were talking about doing the podcast with you guys, um, somebody came in and said, do you have Chris Shadow? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll have a look. Is that the name of the book? Is that the name of the author? And she said, no, no, he's a friend of mine. He lives around here. Have you seen him by any chance? <laughs> Conversation that time only got um, stranger. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're also curious, of course, about the business side of bookselling. There's not a lot of information out there, and I'm sure you didn't have it easy starting this bookshop and finding out everything you need to know um, about the business side. You sell both new and used books. Was that always the case? And what's the difference between selling new and used books? Yeah, that was always the case. And that was the concept from the start. I think I've just always liked bookshops when I've gone into them as a, as a book lover and as a customer, if they have the mix. I've always enjoyed that. I like a new book, but I also like to find you know, something that's, that's, that's pre-loved and maybe a bit cheaper or whatever, depending on what my budget is at the time. New books in terms of acquiring them and stocking them is fairly straightforward. We have a business relationship with a very large distributor here in Germany called Libri. They have a fantastic logistics system so that if it's a book that they have in stock and they have thousands upon thousands in stock in their warehouses, and if we order it before 4 p.m., it's guaranteed next day delivery. What's amazing is they have the keys to Curious Fox. They let themselves in in the morning, deliver the books like little book fairies. And so by the time we get there, there's already a box of five boxes of, uh, of fresh new books every day. It's a great system. Uh, we also deal with publishers directly and distributors directly in the UK and Ireland. That's more complicated this year with the UK leaving the EU. And so we, we wait and see how that goes. And secondhand books, we have to uh, find them wherever we can get them, really. In the early days, it was difficult. And uh, now we've got to the point that we can nearly stock the shop from um, our customers bringing us books that we, we would buy from them. And so not every day, but every couple of days, somebody will offer us five or 20 books. Occasionally we do something like um, somebody's moving house or somebody perhaps has died and there's 200 books at home that need to go somewhere. And so sometimes we'll do something like that. Yeah, that sounds like a real adventure, a quest. Um, can be. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, secondhand books can also be treasure boxes for bookmarks or for mm -hmm. forgotten letters if you're lucky. Do you have any interesting finds 
We have tons of interesting finds and we actually strangely keep everything. So we have bookmarks from other bookshops all over the world, as far as New York, like the famous Strand Bookstore or Powell's in Portland, Oregon. Um, But one of the best things that we ever got, what is one of the improvised bookmarks, was a ticket stub to uh, a theatre in London from the 1st of June, 1950. And that was the bookmark in the book. It was a hardback copy of Canterbury Tales. Written on the inside cover was an inscription on the evening of your first visit to London. This book was given to someone as a gift on the 1st of June, 1950. And they went to the theatre together. And the ticket stub made its way to us then, you know, 65 years later. So there's Um, a movie script in there somewhere. I think so, yeah. We joked about, you know, doing some sort of an exhibition of all the things that we've um, that we've found. But we have shopping lists and we have train tickets, love letters and everything else. And so if we do ever make an exhibition, I guess we'll have to kind of red act people's personal. We've had bank statements, doctor's prescriptions. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to check the regulation on that. <laughs> so very sensitive information. And um, so one thing that we also wonder about is... How do certain books make it into the bookshop? How do you decide? How do you make your selection? Are there perhaps books that you refuse to stock and on the other hand, books that you absolutely go for? There's so many books published every year. How do you decide what to have in the bookshop? It's taken us a long time to figure this out. Um, I, I think with kind of fond memories of how naive we were when we ordered our first new books, one or two of which are still here seven years later that we never managed to sell because they were just the wrong books for our customers and for where we are. And we've learned over the years that our customers are definitely looking for a certain kind of book and we've got better at um, realizing what that is. So it's mostly contemporary literary fiction. Uh, It's certainly things that um, that are feminist, uh, certainly in terms of fiction, less stuff written by misogynistic old white dudes. Our customers are probably reading less of that stuff, uh, more power to them. Um, And so we have to read a lot of reviews and figure things out that way. And we listen to our, listen to our customers. One of our biggest selling authors is Sally Rooney, the Irish author. I'm a big fan of hers, but I hadn't heard of her until our customers were coming in and saying, do you have conversations with friends? And I thought, okay, uh, this is like the 10th time we've been asked for this in the last couple of days. I think we need to not just get this book on order. We need to have it on the shelves. And she's been selling super well for us ever since. And do you find that when a book, like in the case of Sally Rooney, gets turned into a TV series that the sales for, for that book go way up? You get 10 times more customers asking about it in the shop? It does happen, for sure. Like when something comes on Netflix or whatever. For example, The Queen's Gambit recently on Netflix was adapted from a book. People didn't want the book as much as they wanted books about chess. People started playing chess based off the show and they wanted to read chess strategy books, which are featured a lot in the TV show. Um but in terms of Sally Rooney, she's just been consistently selling so well uh, since since uh, the publication of Conversations with Friends that 
you couldn't ever really say that there was that, but it it definitely does happen and it, it piques people's interest. Yeah, I guess a phenomenon like Sally Rooney's maybe also not so common, right? She appeals to such a wide uh, demographic. Um, so one thing we're very curious about on this podcast, uh, one of our favorite topics is, so, okay, on the one hand, you know, we want to know how you as a bookseller pick your books when there's so many to choose from. But then the other question we have is how do we as readers pick our books? Because we often find ourselves when we're talking about that uh, with our friends, and we were also mentioning this in our first episode, we find ourselves reading the same things as other people close friends of ours, or maybe not so much. And we wonder why that happens. And what's your experience? Is it true that people um, maybe pick what's displayed in the window, on the tables? Does that make you feel very, very powerful? Like you can influence what people read and how they pick their books? Essentially, my question is, how do we pick our books? I think I think we're not the the influence. I think the influence is definitely to be found in in podcasts and in newspaper articles. Every now and again, we'll get three or four inquiries after a book that isn't normally something that we have in stock, and I have to wonder what article in the New York, New York Times or in the New Yorker or the Guardian or what podcast mentioned this book all of a sudden that. Not 20 people want it, but just four people want it, you know. Um, stuff in the window certainly does sell. We use the window more to show here's what we have or often books that are just have great covers and they'll catch the eye as they're walking by. People do buy what's on the on the table. We have, we have one table near the counter, um, but we mostly try to keep there with the books that we feel are relevant to now. So whatever is happening in the zeitgeist of the day, whether early on in the summer, everybody wanted to read books that were related to anti-racism or just in general novels by black authors. And so the, the table was, was full of that because nobody had to look very far if that's what they were looking for. You come in and go, oh, it's right on the, right on the table. I think that people are, are influenced also by their peer groups um, of what is being read. Um, but I don't know if we feel uh, if if we feel powerful or, or influential in a way. I always get quite concerned when someone asks for a recommendation. I'm happy to give them. Um, obviously, it's part of the job as a bookseller to recommend books, but I'm always worried that they won't like it, even if it is Sally Rooney, who I recommend all the time because uh, I love her. But I'm still like, oh, what if they don't like it? Then they won't like the shop. They don't think we'll have good books, blah, blah, blah. So it's always, um, that's always a worry. So yeah. we, we haven't got this, uh, necessarily this feeling of power. Right. I, I think it's funny because as a reader, when you walk into a bookshop and you see a book that you know, that you love, maybe the book you're reading right then, when you see it on the staff's pick table, I feel very satisfied with myself. I feel like, yes, I'm reading what the booksellers are recommending. I can definitely identify with that too. I definitely feel like that. Um, we don't have a staff books section anymore. We used to, and we just kind of needed the shelf space for other stuff. Um, but it was funny. I think also I was happy to get rid of it because I sometimes have trashy taste in books and I'm very happy to recommend you know a, a crime thriller or 
Uh, and I had things like this on it, books about vampires and various things. But my shelf was above the philosophy shelf. And so it says Dave recommends. And on that shelf was uh, the Irish author John Connolly, who writes kind of supernatural detective novels. And there was a book on screenwriting and something about vampire movies. And then below was Nietzsche and Plato and Roland Barthes and various things, Susan Zuntag. And people were always saying, oh, are you Dave? Yeah, I mean, such a great taste in, in books, all of this philosophy. These are all some of my favorites, too. And I was so embarrassed to point out, oh, actually, the, the, the trashy books about vampire mo uh, movies of the 70s, that's, that's actually, that's, that's my book uh, recommendation. <laughs> And now for the booksellers quiz. How many books are in your shop? Uh, quick guess, I think about 7,000. What was the last book you sold? It was Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. What would you do if you couldn't sell books anymore? I have no idea. Uh, this fear sometimes keeps me awake at night. I have, have no concept at all. It's become such a part of my life. I wouldn't even know where to begin. What book are you reading at the moment? Um, I'm reading, um, in the end, it was all about love by Musa Akwanga, which was published this week in the UK, and we hope to have it in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Musa lives in Berlin. He's a British writer, and this is his first uh, novel. What's your second favorite bookshop? I have to say, um, I love uh, Word on the Water, I think it's called, in London. And it's a little barge bookshop along the canal there. And the only time I've been there was a glorious sunny day in May uh, 2016, maybe. And uh, we were walking along the canal and this, this bookshop just appeared. Um, but I also have, will always have a special place in my heart for the uh, bookshop where Orla and I met each other, which is another country, another English language bookshop in Berlin, which for a long time uh, in my life in Berlin was like my second home. There's someone in your shop, I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's someone in your shop who sells books better than anyone else, which is your intern, Rosa? You might think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we sometimes have Rosa interning, who is the uh, lovely sheepdog of our friend at Crazy Bastard Hot Sauce. So when they go on holidays uh, and they're not able to take Rosa for some reason, then they, they, they let me look after her for a little bit of time. Uh, she is the loveliest dog, uh, such gentle nature and such a beautiful photogenic dog. Um, but I don't know if she sells books. I think the customers get so distracted petting her that they forget about buying books at all. She's a very people-centered dog. They would, they would get lost in petting her. She'd give the paw. She'd start licking their hands and then they'd go, well, thanks very much. Bye. And head <laughs> off. One of the first times that she was there, there was even tourists uh, came back a few days in a row just to see the dog. <laughs> I can't blame them because she is a lovely dog. 
I can testify she is really lovely. And I think she's a very good dog for events, right? And you do have a lot of different events in your shop. For that, I, I think she's excellent because she attracts even more people. So can you tell us a little bit about the events you run in Curious Fox? So, I mean, obviously in the days before the pandemic, uh, we, we ran regular events. So we always had two events a month, a uh, poetry night on the first Tuesday of the month called Isn't Everything Poetry? where we would invite maybe two or three guest poets to read, and then there would be an open mic. Uh, it's very hard to imagine now, as we're like nearly a year into the coronavirus pandemic, but it used to be standing room only, and uh, isn't everything poetry, with sometimes up to 70 people squeezed into the shop um, and people waiting outside. Um, and those nights were always, always amazing. There was always somebody who's poems you were hearing for the first time who was a real uh, a real talent a real undiscovered talent we also used to do and hopefully will again a quiz night so in the tradition of the kind of classic british isles pub quiz um, and again that could be quite busy you might have maybe 40 50 people we would do book launches when the time arises we might be doing one over instagram soon we'll see how that goes um, and a highlight of the year for us is always Bloomsday on June 16th to uh, celebrate Joyce's Ulysses. Maybe we'd have traditional Irish music um, and we would do a staged reading with some friends, maybe some actors or other poets of maybe like 90 minutes dress up, etc. and encourage uh, the customers to also dress up. Um, it's a very kind of nerdy thing to do but it's a lot of fun for us because we get our 15 minutes on stage for that one yeah that that does sound like a a party that we look forward to come to after covid is over um throwing you a curveball here so if you could invite any fictional character to let's say bloomsday who would it be and why i could also you could also think of this if you could invite a poet at one of your poetry nights if you prefer that question Oh, I would uh, a poet to my poetry night to our poetry nights um, is probably easier to answer. I really love Patricia Lockwood. People possibly know her more from her autobiography *Priest Daddy*, um, which she has a new novel coming out next month. Uh, there's also the Irish poet Paula Meehan, who I've always been a huge fan of. Um, I would love to have uh, have them in, in the shop sometime. I suppose it's not impossible. In terms of um, uh, I, in terms of fictional guests at Bloomsday, I think the best person to have at Bloomsday would be Leopold Bloom. Um, I don't know if Joyce would appreciate what we're doing at Bloomsday. I don't know if he would ever have been uh, behind us. We're, we sometimes treat the treat the book with irreverence, but I think maybe Leopold himself would would get it. We certainly serve his uh, his gorgonzola sandwich and his glass of burgundy, so I think he'd appreciate that kind of thing. I'm sure he would. And it's nice to know that an event like that happens in Berlin, maybe post-corona, I can come attend. Um, you know, there's actually this place in Dublin, I think you, you might know it. It's a small pharmacy, one that is actually featured in Ulysses. And of course, they love the book and they do this book club sort of thing, but it's, it's very serious. <laughs> so everyone has to read a few pages. They take turns. The next person reads a few pages. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say your event sounds like a lot more fun. I did attend this book club for a while and um, I felt a lot of pressure to read correctly, but it's actually a very difficult to read book. So this sounds like a better, more fun way to, to maybe enjoy Ulysses. 
we we make it fun i hope and we also make it that it's um something you can enjoy if you're not if you're not a joycean scholar you don't have to be an expert in the book <laughs> that uh, sounds like a better event for me so we know you have a background in film and we wanted to ask you if there was one book in your shop that you could turn into a great movie what would that be It's a good question. An easy answer for me without thinking too hard. I mentioned the author already, the Irish author, John Connolly, who writes kind of thrillers and detective novels. And it amazes me that his uh, most famous character, uh, who's a, a private detective, Charlie Parker, hasn't been made into a film. Um, it just, it seems like it would be a big blockbuster for, for a studio. There's like 17 or 18 of these books now. But something more in the more literary fiction bent, possibly my, one of my favorite books of last year is Leonard and Hungry Paul by Ronan Hessian, an Irish author. Um, that's his debut. And it's one of the funniest, gentlest books I've ever read. And I think it's a really soothing balm for the kind of chaotic times that we're living in. And I'm constantly recommending it in here. It's so gentle, nothing really bad in any way really happens in it. Um, and it's it's very funny. It's quite slow paced, but I think you could make a really beautiful, gentle film of it, definitely. I wanted to ask you uh, if you could tell our listeners about the first Dibs mailing list and how did the idea come about? I don't know exactly how the idea came about. I think... Um, We were posting, whenever we got a bunch of really good secondhand books in, we would take a picture of it and put it up on social media, whether it was Facebook or Instagram. And we were finding that we were getting messages almost immediately from people saying, oh, can I have this one? Can I have that one? Sometimes people were buying half of the stack. And so we thought we could maybe broaden that idea out. So what we do now is when we get... It's not that they're rare books or anything, but they're just books that we wouldn't get very often secondhand. Um, they would often be things that we sell new, and it could be that it's that it's philosophy or slightly more academic books. So maybe something that new is maybe 30 euros, and then secondhand it would be you know between five and ten or something. Um, we wait until we have like maybe 20 of them, and we send out a mailing list, and people have 24 hours to say that they want dibs. And then we'll, we'll just reserve them for them for a while. One thing I noticed about it is that it almost kind of built a, this wasn't our intention at all, but it almost kind of built a kind of a gamification idea into it. And one of kind of the surprising things was a regular customer of ours told me after we've been doing it for about a year, I was at dinner last night when you sent out the first dibs list and everybody at the table was all <laughs> getting the, the notification Um, and everybody was frantically trying to um, trying to reserve the books, uh, kind of competing against each other, uh, which is not something that we had um, ever envisioned would happen. We feel really bad when people can't when they're already reserved because within within 10 minutes of sending us, maybe the 10 most popular books are already reserved. There's I don't know 400 people on the list. I would imagine first dips is every collector's dream. <laughs> Our previous guest, Sean Bithell, he told us he thinks collectors look for things that don't exist. Do you think he's right? 
I, you see, we can't. We don't have the same experience, I think, with collectors as you might have in in the UK because we're selling essentially foreign language books here, and so the kind of antiquarian books we have some, and we kind of don't know what to do with them. Really, um, it's not really our thing. But people definitely look for books that don't exist. That's that's definitely a thing that happens. Um, certainly. We have frequently people are looking for a recommendation in something. Sometimes I think it happens more if they don't read themselves and they're buying a book as a gift for someone. And they will say, I want to buy a book for my girlfriend. Uh, she's into feminism, science fiction, the environment, and sewing. So have you got a book that's about all of those? And I'm like, well, I can think of a book that's feminist, and science fiction for sure, but it doesn't involve crafts or haberdashery in any way. No, no, it has to be the other, or they'll misremember, you know, a book. And and this is the case where, you know, there was a book here last week. I don't remember what it was called or who it was by, but it was blue. Do you still have it? Um, yeah, people have expectations, I think. I mean, there's also the danger that they they, they think we've read everything. And everything that's here, no, of, of, of course we haven't. <laughs> and does it sometimes happen that people come and look for a specific book, ask for it, you have it, but they don't buy it? I heard this happens a lot and it was quite a surprising one for me. Sometimes I wonder, are people kind of testing you, you know? Um, well, I wonder, is that store any good? I'll see if they have whatever. And, and if they do, well, then, yeah, okay, fine. Um, maybe... It's more money than they wanted to pay at the time, or um, that happens. But yeah, that's nearly a daily occurrence. <laughs> uh, we probably get more emails than in person for that. Have you got this? Uh, blah, 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 right back. Yes, we do. We have it in stock. Would you like us to hold it for you? No response. Uh, but we don't take it personally. As you shouldn't. Who knows? Who knows what the reasons behind it are? Life gets in the way of, of your, your, your book purchasing. <laughs> sure does. So, um, David, as we're recording this at the beginning of 2021, still a very, very strange time. Some of us are in lockdown, semi-lockdown, who knows anymore, depending where you are in the world. And I wanted to ask you something about that, because in Berlin, there was quite a bit of back and forth, what should be regarded as an essential business, what should be kept open during a lockdown. And happily enough, we, we heard that bookshops are on the list of essential businesses, and they were kept open, which is great. And I think it's also kind of nice to call bookshops essential. So I was wondering, even outside of this weird pandemic time we live in now, what do you think makes bookshops essential? And why should we always have bookshops despite other perhaps easier ways to buy books? One click away type of type of ways. Sure. Um, well, one thing I would say is that I think it's actually not as easy uh, as you might think. Now, I'm coming at that with a very Berlin resident perspective, but everybody's familiar with the courier company, the delivery service, Nightmares. You've got to queue up in the, the post office for an hour or the parcel was never delivered or it was delivered to a shop that's two kilometers away. So it's it's not often easy. I mean, we can get most books here the next day and you just call in and pick them up when we're open. 
you don't have to go fighting with the people in the post office to get it back or calling out the window to the guy in the yellow van. But the difference between coming into a brick and mortar shop versus buying something online is, is, is the human connection. You don't have that online. We like to chat with our customers. That happens a little bit less in the Corona times. Everybody's wearing a face mask and doesn't want to uh, linger too much uh, in the outside world. That's understandable. The fact that we're able to give personal recommendations rather than recommendations based off an algorithm. Um, we'll do our best to think of a book that involves science fiction, feminism, and sewing. If that's what you're looking for, we will try. Um, and we are, we like to think we are part of a community. We want to be part of a community. So, I mean, the other arguments against, you know, the big A, they, they don't pay a fair share of taxes. I mean, proportionally, I pay, pay more taxes than Jeff Bezos does. Yeah, that's a very fair point. You know, one thing that made us very optimistic about this, um, the whole business of keeping the bookshops alive in the age of Amazon um, is that our previous guest told us his bookshop did very, very well between lockdowns with more people than he would have expected coming in, coming to buy books. And um, also, you're know, being very mindful of the current restrictions, keeping a distance and all that. So he, he had a, a guess that his bookshop um, customers might be slightly more educated <laughs> than everyone else. Um, and I was wondering, did you notice a similar trend in Berlin? Did people come and support you, not just because you're a local business, but maybe also because they wanted to read more? Definitely. Um, we were also surprised at this. I feel people have come back to books in the pandemic who maybe had moved away from from reading just as a thing to fulfill themselves as a hobby and in terms of bookshops being open in berlin um we sometimes kind of rationalize how that it's it's kind of the only cultural thing you can engage in now the theaters are gone the the concert spaces are gone the libraries are closed you can't even you can't go to a record store, but you can come to a bookshop. So we're happy to have people who are maybe coming back to reading books. We're happy to have them. I think people were also concerned at the start that there was a real danger that their neighborhood bookshop was going to go out of business. Uh, so we had a lot of people buying uh, gift vouchers uh, for kind of large amounts of money. You know, one hundred here. Uh, 50 there, which is normally we sell vouchers for kind of 20. So that was a real effort just to uh, to keep the lights on for us. Yeah, and it's I think it's a wonderful thing to see this uh, community spirit lift up during these times. I have a more personal question. If the butterfly effect is something that speaks to you, how much do you think a book can change the trajectory of your life? And do you have an example you want to share with us? It's a good question because I hear people say things like, oh, this book changed my life all the time. I'd overhear this conversation with uh, maybe two friends visiting the shop and pointing out the books that they enjoyed to each other. And someone will always say, oh, this one changed my life. And I personally, I don't really know if I have ever had a book that's really changed my life in that way. I have books that I love. and I've mentioned some of them already, like Leonard and Hungry Paul or... Uh, Sally Rooney. One book that stands out for me, which definitely helped me look at things differently, 
is the collection of short stories Reason to Live by Amy Hempel, who's an amazing short story writer, but not uh, as well known as she should be, I think. Um, we mentioned earlier that um, a background in film, so I went to film school. Uh, when you're in film school, you, you make short films is pretty much the main thing you do. And I really struggled with coming up with ideas for writing short films uh, until I read the Amy Hempel uh, short story collection, Reasons to Live. I just didn't understand the short form until I'd read that. It's not that I hadn't read other short stories, of course I had, but hers are very simple, where they could often be even a half a page or three pages of a story that's just about um, a moment in time and maybe somebody coming to just a realization of something or kind of just an undramatic occurrence, but something that gave you pause for thought in a profound way. Um, and that's what a great short film can be like. And I really struggled to, to write them until I figured that out. Uh, not that I copied any of them, but I just was able to go, oh, it doesn't have to be like the big plot of a feature film crushed down into five minutes. It can just be about that time that you noticed something or you noticed someone or you realized something. Uh, so I'll always be grateful to Amy Hempel for helping. Yeah, and that's a perfect example of uh, the butterfly effect. It's uh, because that's mostly about a moment of inspiration that you get from a book or an idea to go travel somewhere mm. or anything like that, rather than a you know you change your whole life because you read something that doesn't really happen. But yeah. small changes that lead to other things in life do happen quite often. And to conclude our our conversation today. We see Curious Fox as a noises of English books with a with an Irish atmosphere. It's a very friendly spot in a city that can feel quite rough at times. I was wondering, do you feel that your place attracts people who want to feel less lonely or who might feel out of place or just seek a slice of home, maybe? I, I think so. I hope so, because uh, we do try to... To, to be friendly and welcoming, um, that's always the atmosphere that we've tried to create. Not saying uh, we're 100% successful all the time. Sometimes I have a grumpy day. But yeah, we have, we have a lot of Irish customers. The Irish community isn't the biggest immigrant community by any stretch of imagination. We have our, our little curated section of, of mostly contemporary Irish writers uh, we get involved with the Irish Embassy from time to time with events. So I would hope that people see uh, the shop as somewhere where they can come to be reminded of home, whether it's Ireland or whether it's uh, just generally an English-speaking environment. We have also a lot of regulars who lived in Ireland but are not from Ireland that enjoy to come. Uh, we've always offered um, uh, Irish tea, uh, which is... Uh, sought after for those who enjoy it and that's i hope part of the experience for people that they can come now which type of tea are we talking about i think this is a big point of debate and i know we should clarify this there is so um i'm from cork so it's got to be barry's we have lions from time to time which is the other tea but to be honest i think they're both the same i'm going to get hate mail for this but i would fail the taste test 
on that one. I would fail the Pepsi challenge there. I really love how in Ireland the two types of teas are as important as the two political parties almost. And also they're both the same. So there is the uh, the answer. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation, David. It was a lot of fun. Um, I think uh, we probably have done this, even if it wasn't for a podcast recording, still be very entertaining. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you for listening to our chat today. We'd love to hear what you think at anchor.fm slash cutbooks. We'll be back soon with more stories from more bookshops. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy a good book.